You see, ironically, Calvary is a place of suffering, and yet it's also a place of healing. You could say, therefore, that Calvary is a paradox. That's my prayer today, that your eyes would be open to the significance of the cross. Because when I see Christians struggling with all sorts of bondages and issues and, and you know, mental health and all sorts of, you know, problems in their lives, that is a person that has not a revelation of the cross. We're going to read um, the book of Luke, chapter 23. And... Um, I just wanted to start with this uh, chapter because I think it's, it's very, very uh, significant to what I'm talking about today. Today I'm talking about uh, Calvary. Um, is there any of my amazing African brothers and sisters here today? Could you wave your hand? Wow. <laughs> Amen. Any of my precious Polish people here? Any Croatians? Hallelujah. Amen. Any Brazilians? <laughs> Any Irish here this morning? What about my Mauritians? Amen. Any Ukrainians here today? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, we love you all, no matter what nation. Americans? <laughs> Canadians? <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, we love you all, and uh, we all come from so many different backgrounds, but you know what? The thing that brings us together is Jesus Christ, and in particular, the cross. The only thing standing between us and hell is the cross. And so, let's read together, if we have it on the screen, Luke chapter 23. Then the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. You can read out loud. And they began to accuse him, saying... We found this fellow perverting this nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ the king. Then Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered him and said, It is as you say. So Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no fault in this man. But they were the more fierce, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he heard that he heard belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him, because he had heard many things about him, and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. Then he questioned him with many words, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and the scribes stood and vehemently accused him. Then Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. That very day, Pilate and Herod became friends with each other, for previously they'd been in enmity with each other. Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, the people, said to them, You have brought this man to me. As one who misleads the people, and indeed having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod, for I sent him back to you, and indeed nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him, for it was necessary for him to release one of them at the feast. So they all cried out at once, saying, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. Pilate, therefore, wishing to release Jesus, again called out to them, but they shouted, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Then he said to them the third time, Why, what evil has he done? I have found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. But they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and of the chief priests prevailed. So Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested. And he released to him the one they requested, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison. But he delivered Jesus to their will. Now as they led him, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country. And on him they laid the cross that it might bear it after Jesus. 
And a great multitude of the people followed him and women who also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus turning to them said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, blessed are the barren wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in the green wood, what will be done in the dry? There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with him sneered saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing as you're under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now it was about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God saying, certainly this was a righteous man. And the whole crowd who came together to that site, seeing what had been done, beat their breasts and returned. But all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. You may be seated. Father, I approach this message with fear and trembling, Lord knowing there is no message like this message, the message of Calvary and the price that you paid for us there. And I pray, Lord, today that the people of God will open their hearts to hear. Help us to hear what you are saying in this time and in this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. Calvary is a name forever burned in the consciousness of every Bible-believing Christian. Calvary is a sacred place given center stage in all four Gospels. Uh, Each of the Gospel writers brings us to Calvary, devoting at least a chapter or more to carefully describing and chronicling the momentous events that occurred uh, at the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, by the inspiration and leading of the Holy Spirit, ensure that they give us a good look at the cross before proceeding to speak of the empty tomb. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 35. And it says, Then having crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by the prophets, they divided my garments among them for my clothing, they cast lots. Mark 15 and verse 37. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Luke 23 and verse 33, one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. And it says, when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. You see, the middle was reserved for the worst criminal. And ironically, Jesus was put there because he was hanging there in our place. John 19 and verse 17. And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is in Hebrew, Golgotha, and in Latin, 
Calvary. The message today is simply called Calvary. Like I said, each of the four gospel writers brings us to Calvary because the life of Christ and the resurrection of Christ become meaningless without the death of Christ. For it was at Calvary that Christ died for our sins. You see, Christ is our Passover. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 7. Purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lump as you are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. If we could kill the echo, I'd appreciate that. It says Christ, our Savior, Christ, our Passover, was crucified for us. I think that's so powerful because it's interesting that at the very same time as thousands of lambs were being, were being sacrificed, that God's son was hanging on a cross. You know, some records say that hundreds of thousands of lambs were uh, slain on that day at that very time when God's son Jesus was hanging on the cross because it was at Calvary that Christ The everlasting sacrifice, God's perfect, spotless son, the lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world was offered on behalf of all men. Revelation 13 and verse 8, it says, All the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the lamb's book of life, the lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. You can say what you want about me. You can have whatever opinion you want. You can put whatever label you want on me. I do not care because I know one thing. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. So come what may, I'm not afraid. It says the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, the new living, and the people who belong to the world worshiped the beast. They're the ones whose names were not written in the book of life that belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered before the world was made. You see, the crucifixion of Christ did not take God by surprise. For as this verse clearly shows, it was already planned by God long before the world was even made. And therefore, it was utterly wrong for the church to refer to the precious Jewish people as Christ killers. Because again, the cross was God's purpose. And it was wrong, like I said, for the the church to, to demonize the Jewish people down through the ages because they were but players on a stage. It was God who had written the script. And it was he who was the one directing the events that occurred on that day at Calvary. Zechariah 12 and verse 10 says, And they shall look upon him whom they have pierced, speaking of the Jewish people. And that was written 520 BC. So clearly, the cross was always on God's mind. Amen? And this is the powerful thing about it. You know, it was clear that Christ was crucified long before the nails were driven through his hands and his feet. Long before he took that lonely walk along the Via Della Rosa in Jerusalem through the streets and up to Calvary's hill. Long before the whip cracked through the morning air at the scourging. Long before he was betrayed. Long before he, he, you know, healed the cripple or opened the eyes of the blind or walked on water or even raised the dead. Long before he was even born in a manger. You see, long before crucifixion was even invented. In God's eyes, Jesus was already crucified because it was God's plan. You see, God, not man, was the one who orchestrated the events at Calvary. Psalm 22 is a a very powerful messianic psalm. Verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus quotes this. Some people believe that Jesus quoted Psalm 22 in its entirety as he hung there on that cross. Did you know that 33 different prophecies from Psalm 22 were fulfilled as Jesus hung on the cross? It's powerful. And yet, uh, verse, uh, Psalm 22 and verse 12, here it says, Many bulls have surrounded me, strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. 
They gape at me with their mouths like a, raging, like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax that has melted within me. My strength is dried up like the potsherd and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. You see, prophecy after prophecy in this psalm were fulfilled at Calvary. They pierced my hands and my feet. Amazingly, this psalm was written by David approximately 1000 BC. Jesus wasn't crucified until approximately 30 AD. Do you know that crucifixion wasn't even invented when this was written? It was invented by the Persians 600 BC. It wasn't brought to Rome until 300 BC. And it wasn't used in the Jewish province until 63 BC. They pierced my hands and my feet. You see, God knows the end from the beginning. Calvary did not take God by surprise. He was the one who had planned that Jesus, his son, would hang on the cross in our place. So what was a seemingly random and unfortunate chain of events that led to the cross was actually part of God's plan. Neither Pilate nor the Pharisees had the final say on the death of Jesus Christ because Calvary was not an accident. Rather, it was the culmination of God's eternal and unchanging plan and purpose. 1 John 3.8, he that committed sin is of the devil. It's a good way, it's a good, that's a good way to motivate you to give up your sin, whatever that may be. Amen. We all have pet sins. We all have areas we stumble. All areas we, we deal with. Here the Bible says if you're sinning, you're of the devil. Amen. That's why we need to deal with the sin in our lives. And it says, for the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy. Destroy the works of the devil. And that is why God will not allow you to have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. It's all or nothing with him. He doesn't come to, to uh, you know, uh, share the throne of your life, so to speak. Amen? He has come to be Lord. Yeah, you know, I think it was uh, William Carey once said that, that uh, you know, either Jesus is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Amen? Is Jesus Lord of your life? 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1. And I, and I brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of power. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Hallelujah. They're coming to nothing. Let me tell you something. The plans of the globalists, the WEF, the WHL, whoever else has got a plan and a purpose, they are going to come to nothing. That's what the Bible says. They are coming to nothing. That's why as the church, we have to stop giving in to fear and panic and anxiety. Glory to God. Our God is in control. Our God reigns. And it says, hallelujah, the rulers of this world which are coming to nothing. And it says, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory. And the Bible says that if they had understood they would not have crucified him because clearly the devil didn't understand what God was doing in that moment. You see, he thought he had won when in fact he had lost. And now Jesus was on his way to crush his head. It was all over. He was already a defeated foe, a conquered enemy, and he didn't even realize it. The powers of darkness were celebrating, not knowing that they were already conquered. They were already defeated because in only three days' time, Jesus would arise triumphant over death, hell, and the grave. Glory to God. And everything would change for fallen man. 
You see, we serve a conquering savior. Hosea 13 and 14. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Uh, O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Hallelujah. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. You see, at the cross, Jesus dethroned death and dethroned Satan. He dethroned them both. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of light, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. So when corruption is put on incorruption, and this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Whether you realize it or not, you are victorious. Whether you know it or not, you are blessed. You are an overcomer. You are a conqueror. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. The enemies or trials or problems in your life are going to flee. The Bible says the enemy is going to come against you one way. He's going to flee from you seven in Jesus' name. Could somebody say thank you, Jesus? Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. You're more than a conqueror. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Because what looked like a defeat was actually a victory. A man hanging on a cross wasn't a symbol of hope or victory, and yet we serve a God who can turn mourning into dancing and apparent defeat into victory. Glory to God. And in this, we must take courage. Particularly, uh, like I said, we, we, can, we can take courage and find hope, particularly in light of the times that we're in and the agendas that are clearly at play right now. I mean, they're not even hiding anymore what their plan is. And if you can't see that, you're a dummy. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't be a dummy. Amen? Hallelujah. Because neither globalists, nor their government puppets, nor the media propagandists are going to be able to, to stop what God is going to do in this day. They're not in control. They think they have power, but God is the one who is in control. Turn to your neighbor and say, God is in control. Amen. Hallelujah. God is in control. He always was and he always will be. Psalm 24 and verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell therein. You need to remind yourself, I belong to Jesus. I'm God's property. You can't trespass on me in Jesus' name. Glory to God. My family belongs to God. I'm bought with the blood. Hallelujah. Could somebody say yes? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell therein. Glory to Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Revelation chapter 5. And verse 11, and it says, And I looked, I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the numbers of them were 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such are in the sea and all that are in them are heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Glory to Jesus. Our Lord Jesus Christ is victorious. Hallelujah. He is victorious. Psalm 97 and verse 1. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Hallelujah. Psalm 99 and verse 1. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. Glory to Jesus. You see, God reigns. That's why we don't have to be afraid. You know, I was reading uh, Thomas Akempis yesterday, The Imitation of Christ, a wonderful book. And, and just something that I read just struck me so powerfully. And he simply said this. If you fear God... You will not be afraid of people. Amen. We must make that decision as the church in this day and age. That we're going to walk in the fear of God. And therefore we're not going to be intimidated in Jesus name. You see Christ looked uh, like he was a victim. 
Amen? And yet, he was still completely in control. He could have called for 10 billion angels in one moment, and they would have come, but he didn't do so. Because God, in his great wisdom and eternal omniscience, had foreordained that Christ would suffer and die on the cross at a place called Calvary as our perfect sacrifice. And he uh, obediently surrendered to the will of the Father. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 10. And it says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin. You see, it pleased God to put Jesus on that cross because of his love for us. Philippians 2 and verse 8 says, And being in a, found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Because again, the Bible says even the death of the cross because it was the most shameful manner of death possible in that time. And yet this is what Jesus did for us. If we could get that picture of the cross up, um, if possible, um, from Glendalough. I often go to Glendalough. I love it. It's in Wicklow. It's, it's an ancient, um, uh, an early Christian um, monastic settlement where men and women went to pray and seek God and study and copy the scriptures. And um, so the, this, this beautiful cross that's going to be up there any second. Um, praise the Lord. Now I'm to, uh, We got it? Yeah? Okay, thank you, you're working on it, brilliant. No need to worry, Naima's up there, she's in control. But um, Glendalough is part of our, uh, this, you know, the ancient Christian legacy that we have as the Irish people. Now we may not have uh, much evidence of it uh, in how people are living today, but there, there, there is a legacy, I believe, and, and it gives me hope, because when I go there, it, it, it's a reminder that we were once a God-fearing people. And, and this beautiful cross was, was carved into a stone that stands uh, just on the inside uh, of the archway in this ancient uh, monastery, which was founded by St. Kevin in the 6th century. And it's a reminder that the cross, um, you know, is a symbol of hope, healing, and salvation that's been venerated by the Irish people for more than 1,500 years Remember, Patrick brought the gospel here 1,500 years ago. And since then, you know, the, the, the gospel has been in this nation. And uh, I'm believing in Jesus' name, just like Elijah when he prayed for his servant. Open his eyes, Lord. I'm praying that God will do it again. I'm praying that God will awaken the people of this nation once again to the divine purpose and call that is on this land. And so, hallelujah. There, uh, that's not it. <laughs> Praise you, Jesus. That's St. Kevin, uh, no, that's, that's, that's not it. Anyway, at some stage, the media are gonna put it up there. But you know, the thing that I find beautiful about, it's, it's, it's a simple cross, and it's carved into the rock. And that, that, that cross could be, uh, could be 1,500 years old. And, and like I said, it's, it's a previous generation. Uh, it's the voice of a previous generation still speaking to us today, saying, look to the cross. The cross is the answer. Amen? And so, anyway, uh, it's important to understand, to the Romans, crucifixion was a perfected form of punishment and execution which maximized the pain and it lengthened the, the, the suffering um, of the victim as well as you know, maximizing their, their public humiliation, uh, making them hang naked before the world as they slowly suffered and died. And they didn't even stop there. They would leave the bodies up there on the cross to rot as a warning to others. And so the cross, therefore, was a symbol of, of Roman might um, uh, power and dominance and could never have been envisaged uh, uh, been envisaged as a symbol of hope. Um, you know, a symbol of defeat, yes. A symbol of imperialism, uh, definitely. But, but a symbol of love or a symbol of hope, no. Uh, it, it was ridiculous. And yet, ironically, this is what God has done. He took something that was a symbol of defeat to, to, to be a symbol of victory. You see, ironically, Calvary is a place of suffering, and yet it's also a place of healing. It's a place of shame, and yet it's also a place of liberation. It's a place of death, and yet amazingly, because of God's glorious grace, a place of life. 
Amen? And so, again, to, to, I, I, I love that old gospel song. You know, love grew where the blood fell. And flowers of hope sprang up uh, to men in misery. Sin died where the blood fell. I'm so glad his precious blood covers me. How many of you remember that old song? He saved my soul and set me free. Now I've got the victory. I'm living with him eternally. I'm glad about it. He saved my soul and set me free. Now I've got the victory. I'm living with him eternally. I'm glad about it. Come on, give me a shout of praise if you're glad about it. Calvary. Glory to Jesus. To the Jews living in the time of Christ, Calvary was the end. Because if you were taken there, your life, along with your hopes and dreams and ambitions, ended in the most gruesome, bloody, painful manner possible. And yet to the believer, Calvary is the place of new beginnings. Amen? Because Calvary means the place of the skull. A skull is always symbolic of death. And yet God used, uh, you know, turned it to become a symbol of life. Amen? You could say, therefore, that Calvary is a paradox, It's a contradiction in terms that only makes sense when you look at it through the eyes of faith. And I pray that God will open our eyes once again to behold the truth. Psalm 119 and verse 18 says, Open down mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things from thy law. And that's my prayer today, that your eyes will be opened to the significance of the cross. Because when I see Christians struggling with all sorts of bondages and issues and, and you know, mental health and all sorts of you know, problems in their lives, that is a person that has not a revelation of the cross. Because the moment you get a revelation of what Jesus did on the cross, those chains will break. Those burdens will lift. Those demons will flee in Jesus' name. Because the Bible says, whom the son sets free is free indeed glory to jesus may god open our eyes again to see ephesians 1 18 i pray that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened to know the hope to which you've been called may god open our eyes to the cross again the only reason we are going to heaven is because jesus went to calvary you see at calvary love conquered Amen. We are redeemed because of the cross. Job 19. For I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter, pay, uh, at the latter day upon the earth. And although after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another, though my reins cons- uh, be consumed within me. You see, Job understood. He said, I know my Redeemer liveth. Amen. And that in the latter day he shall stand upon the earth and the time will come when we see him. You know, my very first sermon I gave was John uh, 3, or one of the first anyway, John 3, 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Here Jesus quotes from the Old Testament. This is why we must read from the Old as well as the New. It's all the word of God. It's all God speaking to us. But here Jesus said, as, as Moses lifted up the serpent, so too I must be lifted up on the cross. I want to read here in Numbers 21. It says, Then they journeyed from Mount Har by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. You've got to fight discouragement. You've got to fight it like it's the devil because it's from the devil. And if you give in to discouragement, I'm telling you something, the devil's going to walk all over you. Don't feel sorry for yourself, no matter what's going on. Get up and fight in Jesus' name. Fight that thing, whatever it is. Fight it. Push back against it in Jesus' name. Contend for the faith. Contend for your destiny. But it says, they became discouraged, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. The second mistake, first mistake, being discouraged. Second mistake, starting to speak. Sometimes the best thing you can do is shut your mouth, go to bed, and get a night's sleep. Amen? Because when we're tired, we can talk ourselves out of a miracle. And it says, the people spoke against God and against Moses, said, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loads this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned, 
If we have spoken against the Lord and against you, pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Intercession is so important. It's so important we're interceding for our friends, our family, our nation, our generation in Jesus' name. It says uh, then in verse eight, so the Lord spoke to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the serpent of bronze, he lived. You know, I love the Amplified, so when he looked at the serpent uh, attentively, expectantly, he was healed. And so, in the same way, that's all I'm asking you today to to do, is to simply look afresh at Calvary, look afresh at the cross, because Calvary is central to the message of Christ. Let me read this quote by Thomas Akempis. It is the, um, in the cross is salvation. Thank you, Jesus, let me start again. In the cross is salvation. In the cross is life. In the cross is protection against our enemies. In the cross is infusion of heavenly sweetness. In the cross is strength of mind. In the cross is joy of spirit. In the cross is excellence of virtue. In the cross is perfection of holiness. There is no salvation of soul, nor hope of eternal life, save in the cross. Think about that. There is no salvation and there is no hope outside of the cross. Three things we see at at Calvary. Firstly, at Calvary, we see courage. Mark chapter 15 and verse 16. Then the soldiers led him into the hall called Praetorium and they called together the whole garrison and they clothed him with purple and they twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and began to salute him, hail king of the Jews. Then they struck him on the head with a reed and spat in him and bound the knee, they worshiped him. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple robe off him, put on his own clothes and led him out to crucify him. Then they compelled a certain man, Simon a Centurion, a Cyrenian, a father of Alexander and Rufus, and he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which is the place of a skull. Then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for him to determine what every man would take. Now it was the third hour and they crucified him and the inscription of the accusation was written above the king of the Jews. With him also they crucified two robbers, one on his right, the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking among themselves at the scribes said, he saved others, himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. Even those who are crucified with him reviled him. Now it was about the sixth hour. There was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. The ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama shabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood by when they heard it said, look, he's calling for Elijah. Then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink, saying, let him alone. Let's see if Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, said, this truly, this man was the son of God. You see, at Calvary, we see courage. Jesus showed great courage in the face of betrayal, mockery, and suffering. You know, Matthew 25 says, and so all the disciples deserted him and fled. Everyone else fled, and yet Christ still courageously stood his ground. Forsaken by friends and family and followers, he stood alone against the powers of darkness and prevailed. You know, the Bible says in Matthew, uh, we just read it in Mark 15, 34, that Jesus not only was abandoned, uh, not only by men, but he was abandoned by God. Because God turned his face away from his son. Because in that moment, Jesus was made sin. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin 
that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, at Calvary, Christ was alone like no other before or after. It takes courage to stand alone. It takes courage to remain silent in the face of accusation and attack and not try to justify yourself and strike back. And yet Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God. Isaiah 53 and 7, he was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. That was written approximately 750 BC. It spoke of how Jesus would be silent in the face of accusation. And he courageously surrendered to the will of the Father, even though it would cost his life. You know, Matthew 27, 31 says, he was led to the cross. I find that amazing. When they had mocked him, they put a robe on him, put his clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. Why was that unusual? Because Jesus was led. Most men had to be dragged. But Jesus was led because he was obedient to the will of the Father. Jesus courageously accepted his faith. His faith. Isaiah 15, verse 7, it says, Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I've set my face like flint, and I will not be put to shame. Do you know that flint is a dark and extremely hard rock? Jesus had to set his face like flint in order to endure the agonies and the betrayal and the suffering of the cross. The suffering that he would experience before, during, and even after the cross because he went to hell for three days to suffer on our behalf. You see, it's so important for us to grasp what God was doing in that moment. Just like Ezekiel before him, Ezekiel chapter three talks about this and it says, but the house of Israel will not listen to me because they will not listen to you because they will not listen to me for all the house of Israel impudent uh, impudent and hard-hearted. Behold, I have made your face strong against their faces and your forehead strong against their foreheads. Like Adam and stone, harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them, nor be dismayed at their looks. And so in the same way, Jesus, just like Ezekiel, Jesus would have to show unwavering fidelity and courage and determination in the face of the rebelliousness of mankind because Jesus went to the cross, not just for the Jewish people, he went there for all men, amen? Isaiah chapter 50, again, another prophetic verse about Jesus on the cross, and it says in verse four, the Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord has opened my ear and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. This is how Jesus suffered on our behalf. You know, the Bible says in verse uh, 14 of 52, many were astonished at you, so his visage or his face was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. You see, Jesus suffered like none before or after him. And we must remember that it was for our sin that Jesus was crucified. This is what Isaiah 53 says. It says, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Thank you, Jesus. Remember, he did it for you. It was our sin that put him on the cross. You see, the cross tells us that we serve a God who understands suffering, having suffered himself. Jesus suffered at the cross and it took great courage and therefore let us not insult the spirit of grace by continuing to live in sin. As a pastor it amazes me. Christians that are Christians for years living with each other you know single people going off on on weekends away. Listen if you're not married you don't go on weekends away. That is sinful. Thank you for that one amen. That's not right. It is an insult to Jesus and what he did on the cross for you. For you to wallow in sin like a pig. 
and think that you're okay. There is a perverted understanding of grace in the body of Christ. If you understand what Jesus did for you, you will want to live a holy life, even if nobody else does. I appreciate it takes courage to change. It takes courage to be different to the world around you. But in light of Christ's sacrifice, surrender, and suffering, we must answer the call. This is what the book of Hebrews chapter 12 says. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, thank God for Wesley. Thank God for Whitfield. Thank God for, for Wigglesworth and for, for you know, uh, all of the men and women of God through the ages who have gone before us. But they are up in the grandstands of heaven and they are shouting you on now. That's what they're doing. They're shouting you on. They're saying, come on, get out of bed. Come on, get rid of that sin. Come on, take that, that chip off your shoulder and God will use you. Say yes to the call of God in your life. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. I know this, if you're, look, if you're living in sin, it's because you're not, living, it's, it's, you're not looking to Jesus. Christ is our example. We look to him. Luke 9 and 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Christ set his face towards the cross. He was focused and absolute. There would be no turning back, no matter what he would face. Neither man nor devil would stop him in his mission to save mankind from sin. And we must show the very same determination and courage in Jesus' name. We must, in our lives, we must take up our cross and follow him. Ian Bounds, all God's plans have the mark of the cross on them. And all his plans have death to self in them. There's a lot of bad preaching right now in the body of Christ. You're good, I'm good, we're all good. No, we're sinners in desperate need of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank God we're the righteousness of God, but let us not take that righteousness for granted by continuing to live in our sin. Christ made it clear that there is a cost to the call. You see, a man carrying a cross was a dead man walking. So when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, he said, he made it very clear. He, he, he left us under no illusion. Following him is difficult. Following him is hard. It will be painful. It will involve sacrifice. And it will involve change. It will involve change. Like Christ, we have the promise of his presence in the midst of all that is going on. Because if we live for Christ and his eternal purposes, at times, yes, we will be misunderstood or misrepresented. We may even be deliberately maligned or attacked. You may be, you know, labeled and judged simply because you don't embrace the standards and the culture of a lost and confused world. You may lose friends, you may lose jobs, you may even lose your life, but Joshua 1.9 tells us to be strong and of good courage. Like Christ, we must take courage in God's presence. Psalm 91 and 15. When they call on me, I will answer I'll be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. We take courage because we believe that God is with us. I'll be with you in trouble. If you're in trouble today, know this. The Lord is with you. He's not mad at you. He's with you. And he's going to bring you through it in Jesus' name. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. We have the promise of his presence. And that will bring us through whatever comes. So bring it on, devil. We're not afraid. Amen? In the days to come, we will see that God still makes the distinction between those who serve him and those who don't. We saw it in Goshen during the time of Moses, and we will see it in our day. Because no matter what we face in the days that are to come, we must face the future with courage and not cowardice, with faith and not fear. 
We're not meant to be responding to the challenges of our times with fear and panic and anxiety. No, we face the future with courage, confidence, expectation, and hope because we know what happens at the end. Titus 2 and verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So take courage, child of God, the best is yet to come. Jesus Christ is going to return with the sound of the trumpet. And, and in case you didn't realize, as the church, we're going out with a shout, not with a whimper. We're going out with a shout. Glory to God. That's why I believe we're going to see revival in Jesus' name. Numbers 23, 21. He hath not withheld iniquity in Jacob. He has not beheld iniquity in Jacob. Neither has he seen uh, perseverance in, is, not, in Israel. The Lord his God is with him. And the shout of a king is among them. Hallelujah. The new NIV says, and the shout of the king is among them. You see, in the heat of the battle, when you would hear the shout of your king, glory to God, you would have a reminder that your king was fighting for you and your family and your nation and you would take courage and you would fight all the harder because you had heard the shout of the king. Well, the Bible says there is a shout of a king among us. There is a shout of a king, Jesus Christ. You see, we look to Calvary and we see how our king fought for our souls. Amen. Glory to God. When, like that old song, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. Glory to God. We're reminded that Jesus fought for our souls. He fought valiantly for our souls. Satan wanted your soul as a trophy. But love would not let go. Love would not let go. In spite of where you failed or fallen or struggled, love would not let go. The devil said, he belongs to me. She is mine. And Jesus said, no. No. Hell no. Glory to God. Jesus fought for us. Therefore, how can we give in to despair or doubt or fear? How can we surrender to the lies and the attacks of the enemy? We must be courageous and fight on. We choose faith, not fear. Glory to God. We will prevail. You know, up to recently in this nation, they had crosses on the wall in the hospitals. No longer is that the case. Amen. But you know, those crosses gave courage and comfort to those who were suffering or bereaved. You know, they may have removed the cross from our hospitals, but don't ever let them remove the cross from our churches, from our homes, from our families, from our lives. Mark 8, 34. Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Let me say this. It will take courage to leave friends, associations, habits, and even lifestyles behind. To refuse to participate in and celebrate the perverted things that our culture insists on putting in front of us. To say, no, I don't watch that. No, I don't go there. No, I don't celebrate that. No, I don't take pride in pride. And no amount of state-sponsored propaganda and no amount of, of corporate intimidation is going to make me change my mind. And so, again, we have to have courage. Courage to reject the pronouns based on pretense. You're either a him or a her from birth. Changing your pronouns changes nothing. It will take courage to live holy, even if nobody else does. You may be judged. You may lose friends or jobs. Like I said, you know, but this is the fact. Truth is not changeable and compromise is not acceptable. Jesus said in, Revel in Revelation 3, I wish you were hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. The King James says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Vomiting is a, a violent reaction in light of what Jesus did for us to be half-hearted, for us to be lukewarm, for us to be compromised. It gives him a sick feeling in his stomach. I don't want to be somebody that Jesus wants to vomit up. So again, change our truth is not changeable. And compromise is not acceptable. Even if we live in a world that pretends that a man can uh, give birth or that a baby is simply a piece of tissue. 
Sorry, not sorry, this preacher is not going to change. I'm not going to change because the word of God does not change. Sexual sin will still damn your soul to hell. Whether that is adultery, whether it's fornication, whether it's homosexuality or anything else. Be holy, for I the Lord your God am holy. That is God's command. And we disregard it at, at, our, at the peril of our eternal soul. You know, fact check back. You know, they're not fact checkers, they're narrative enforcers. You know, this week a government minister speaking of proposed hate speech laws, they want to have laws that have teeth. You know what they're actually saying? We want to have laws that will punish you if you dare to question the narrative. We want to have laws that will put you in jail if you do not, uh, uh, if you do not uh, surrender uh, your beliefs uh, to what we say you need to believe. You see, they want to have the right to indoctrinate the next generation. All I'm going to say is hell no. Courage. Give me five minutes and I'm finished. Compassion. Jesus, it says, when he had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. There they crucified him. Just one verse it gives to that momentous uh, uh, occasion. And it says, they crucified him and the criminals. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. You see what love and compassion Jesus demonstrated at Calvary. In the face of betrayal and mockery, he doesn't cry out for vengeance or curse those who stood by and watched. He shows mercy and compassion even in his suffering. You know, we read on further that the, the criminal said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You know, Jesus even reaches out to a dying thief. With, with Jesus' dying breath, he reaches out to show love and compassion on a criminal who had rejected him in life, but now wants him in death. I mean, what did this man have to offer Christ in that moment? Nothing. He had lived a wretched life as a criminal, and now all he had to offer Jesus was his sin-scarred soul. And Jesus said, this day, you will be with me in paradise. Glory to God. You know, this was a man who had ignored God's call in his life. This was a man who had run all the red lights. And now he was getting his just desserts. He even acknowledges this himself. He was an unworthy sinner, as were all of us. And yet, Jesus lovingly receives him and, and shows that there is hope for all of us. This man had nothing to offer Jesus Christ. And yet Jesus receives him as a friend and a brother. What a compassionate savior we have in Jesus. This is why Hebrews chapter four says, let us therefore, seeing we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the son of God, let us hold fast our confession of hope um, without wavering. For you do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. How many of you are glad it's a throne of grace? Not a throne of judgment or condemnation. Praise God for the throne of grace. But it is a throne of grace because Jesus went to Calvary. As the church, may we never forget that. What a friend we have in Jesus. How many remember that old hymn? What a friend we have in Jesus. Oh, glory to God. We have a friend in Jesus. Amen. Calvary points us to the glorious throne of God's grace. You see, in spite of our failures, our shortcomings, we look to the cross and we find compassion. Lamentations 3.22, for the Lord's mercies, we're not consumed. Because his compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You know, Mark, Matthew 9 says, Jesus saw the multitudes and had compassion on them. I remember a number of years ago when there was a lot of gangland murders. And I remember I was praying for those young men that they would get saved. I was praying for those young men who were caught in, in criminality and drugs and gangland. And you know what? It's so beautiful to see my friend and my brother Kean here this morning. He was one of them. And God saved him. God cleansed him. God delivered him. And he's a man of God today. He's a man of God today. This is what Jesus does. Glory to God. Nobody is beyond God's grace. There is no life so broken that it can't be transformed by Jesus. Could somebody say, thank you, Jesus? Thank you for the cross. I look at the cross, I see courage. I look at the cross, I see compassion. And lastly, two minutes and I'm finished. I look at the cross and I see completion. completion. John chapter 19 and verse 30, Jesus cried out, it is finished. Oh, hallelujah. It's finished. 
You know, he said in John 17 and verse 4, he said, I've finished the work that you, you, you gave me to do. You see, Calvary is a complete work. Even though Jesus Christ hadn't yet gone to hell for the sins uh, for three days, nor had he yet risen, in God's eyes it was already finished. Why? Because at the cross, it was the blood that was shed. At the, clo- the cross, at Calvary, the blood was shed for all mankind. You know that word, um, uh, f- finished, is an accounting term. And when a debt was paid, uh, they would use that word, finished. It means to end, to complete, make an end, expire, fill up, finish, pay, or perform. You see, God's terrible justice was exacted upon Christ at the cross. And God's terrible justice was satisfied at Calvary. And we are now free. Isaiah 49 and uh, 46 and 9, it says, Remember the former things of old. For I'm God and there is no other. I'm God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done. Saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all of my pleasure. Nothing takes God by surprise. And you might have sinned, you might have messed up, but you're not beyond God's grace. His grace is extended towards you today. Know this, nothing takes God by surprise because he knows the end from the beginning. He holds the blueprints for your life. And this is why you can trust him. He said in Isaiah 49, I have tattooed a picture of you on the palms of my hands. God can't forget you. I look at the cross and I'm reminded that I matter. But I look at the cross and I'm reminded that God finishes what he starts. God finishes what he starts. And in the same way, God is working in us and on us. Philippians 1, 6, being confident in this very thing, that he who began a good work and you will carry it out to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. As the worship group come forward, we must not be discouraged when we fail or fall short. We must just thank God that the good work he has begun, he is going to complete in us. That's why Colossians 2.10, you are complete in him. You see, we live in a society that tells us you're defined by what you drive or what you earn or where you live or what labels you wear or how much money's in your bank account. But we understand that we are simply defined by love, that we are complete in him. We belong to him. We are accepted in the beloved. Our past no longer has power to determine our future because of Calvary, because of the cross. There may be all sorts of things that run in your family line. Alcoholism or addiction or all sorts of bondage. That ends when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because the Bible says if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. We are new because of the cross. We, we are saved by grace. We don't have to earn or contribute to our salvation. You see, we work out our salvation. We don't work for our salvation. That's why Matthew 7 says, by their fruits, you will know them. Calvary not only cleanses us, Calvary calls us. Calvary calls us to lay aside our selfishness, our agendas, our narcissism, our rebelliousness, our insistence on having our own way. Lay aside our pride and live for him who died for us. Are you living for him who died for you? That is the question. That is the only question. Do you know and do you live for him who died for you? Now we know what love is because while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. None of us are deserving. None of us are worthy. And yet by God's grace... Jesus Christ took our place on that cross so that we could be forgiven and so that we could know him. We must run our race and we must fulfill our particular assignment. How many of you know God has an opinion about how you live your life? He has a plan. He declared it in Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, sister Lord. Why then do we so many times insist on pursuing our plan rather than his? We must run our race and we must complete our assignment. Just like Paul said, 
I've finished, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. Now there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord has laid aside for those who love him, those who fear him. You see, we are complete in Christ, but we have a destiny that is incomplete until we live for Jesus Christ. We have a destiny that is incomplete until it is fulfilled. In light of Calvary, therefore, let us live for God. Let us give God our very best, knowing He gave His best for us. For God so loved the world. Know today you are loved. I don't know what you've done or where you've been, but you are loved. The cross is proof that you are loved. The cross is proof that God sees value in you. Nobody else might love you, but God does. He loves you even when you don't love yourself. The cross is proof that we are loved. I look at the cross and I'm reminded that I matter. Jerry Bridge is my final quote. If we want proof of God's love for us, then we must look first at the cross where God offered up His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. Calvary is the one objective, absolute, irrefutable proof of God's love for us.